and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is Jessica Pan, the author of Sorry I'm Late, I Didn't Want to Come, An Introvert's Year of Living Dangerously. It's a book that really spoke to me because I am an introvert deep down and I'm also someone that might have got too much into the habit of saying no, turning things down and maybe staying inside too much when the weather's bad. Basically not really living on the edge as much as I think I did when I was in my early 20s and this book is an incredibly funny and frank book all about how Jess decided to drastically change her life for a year. She is an introvert by nature and she decided to live like an extrovert for a whole year with the help of some experts and mentors along the way. It's such a funny book just kind of chronicling her life change and really kind of heading straight first into some really painful situations and just social horrors. So it's quite fun to kind of follow Jess and and really watch her do things that maybe we wouldn't do. She really did push herself out of her comfort zone. She wrote a list of things like doing improv, going on a solo holiday, talking to strangers on the tube and some really scary public speaking and the book follows along and Jess reports back. We talk about how to change our habits, how talking to strangers actually makes us happier, how to make small changes and also how at a certain age we do start to lose friends and how we can go about making new ones. I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you did too. And go and support Jess by buying the book. Thanks again for tuning in. If you enjoyed this one, please do go and leave a rating or a review on iTunes. It seriously helps keep my podcast in the charts. Thanks so much. And here it is. I felt so sick. And then I just thought, I don't want to be scared of this anymore. I don't want this fear to own me and limit me for the rest of my life. Like you wrote this book for me and millions of people out there. Someone said to me recently, Emma, the problem with you is that you're an introvert, but people think you're an extrovert. And I wondered, what is your backstory with like knowing that you're an introvert? How did you, have you always known? No, I had no idea. Um, Growing up, I just thought, I thought two things. Either everyone secretly hated everything as well and no one was telling me, or I just thought I was strange because you know, both my parents are extroverts. I have two older brothers, they're extroverts. And I would like go in my room and go read and they'd be like, you're so antisocial. And it wasn't until I was 24 when I discovered what introversion and extroversion were. I was an editor working at a magazine in Beijing and an older editor, I think she maybe recognized it and she kind of sat me down and we talked about it. And I just thought, oh my God, that is me. And I felt so recognized. But yeah, people think I'm an extrovert just because I can be chatty and friendly. And I think it's a misconception that introverts are socially awkward, shy recluses, although sometimes I am that too. Totally. And I think sometimes it takes getting a little bit older to like appreciate who you are and the fact that you're probably not going to change. Were you ever insecure about being different when you were younger and just like wishing you were more extroverted? When I was younger, I really just thought everyone was faking liking being out all the time with people. And I was like, when can we go home and just accept that that's what we want to do? And I would get tired and I would want to retreat and have alone time. But I couldn't articulate why. I just would start to slowly feel insane from being around people. But it took me so long to figure out that was the cause. And I think that is what is so refreshing about your book is like you're articulating something that is a genuine feeling for a lot of people and they've probably you know people might have been hiding it because I've I've got a sister who 
is totally extroverted and one of the first lines of the book I think is about there's two types of people one that goes to Glastonbury and one that watches it on TV under a blanket and my sister is like the at a festival for 14 days covered in glitter sleeping in a tent with 15 other people <laughs> yeah I um I would pay good money not to do that so yeah when I watch Glastonbury on, on screen I just see hundreds of thousands of people crammed in a small space and they're all drunk and loud and and like how do you escape that crowd like it's like when you go to a, a wedding but I just go and sit in the toilet for like half an hour yeah I I well I, I write, write about that I sort of just am like I'm gonna go for a walk <laughs> and uh and my husband knows exactly what I'm doing <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about how the book came about because is it true that it started from a magazine article it's really interesting how books come about um actually yes and no I, I definitely reached this incredibly low point in my life. Um, you know, I've gone through phases of, of being really brave and confident and going for things. And then I lose that and I reach a low point where I'm insecure and my career stagnating and I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And I reached the lowest of those points um, about a little more than a year ago. And, you know, that's when I was, I just became a freelancer. I realized that I felt incredibly lonely all day. I live in this massive city of 9 million people in London and I talked to two people and that's, you know, the barista and like my husband. Mm. Um, and like, I felt like my friends were moving on with, with in different directions. So, so that happened and I, I realized, okay, I need to make a change. What, what if I live my life like a different person for a year? Would I dig myself out of this hole? So the very first challenge I set myself to, you know, live like an extrovert for a year was talking to strangers because that terrified me. And I also feel like in London, that's a total faux pas because everybody just avoids each other. Which is so weird because in, on the tube, you're facing each other. Exactly. So but like, nobody makes eye contact. No. And it's like, you're just like darting your eyes around. Like I can't look at you. And it's so weird. It's, it's so strange. And, uh, so when I was doing research on how to basically get up the courage to do this, I found this fascinating research from these psychologists about how um, if commuters are forced to talk to a stranger, it actually makes them happier, whether they're an introvert or an extrovert, and how you know we think that everybody would hate it if we started chatting to them, but actually most people would be fine with it. And I sort of had this idea and was discussing it with an editor at The Guardian, and she said, oh, we're doing a conversations issue. Can you write about this for a month? And I, I did, and that came out. But I'd already started like the journey of the book. Right. That's so fascinating because, yeah, that piece was incredible. It really resonated because I think we're in this time where... You know, we are in a time where I think we're becoming more and more insular. We're, you know, people have those little AirPods, what are they called? Like the things in their ears, just like blocking out the world. And it's like everyone's constantly wearing headphones, constantly on their phones. And like, I'm not judging anyone. I do that as well. But I think this has come at a seriously like urgent time, actually. So my favorite chapter is the friends chapter when you kind of go friend dating. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I loved it all. But like, I just <laughs> yeah. love that chapter so much because I just thought... I think there's a lot of people who are in the same position as that of being like oh who I don't really have anyone to go for a coffee with right now is that kind of why you wanted to write that chapter just like we're in this time of like the squad goal when I don't have a squad I have lots of like random friends but I don't have a squad <laughs> yeah I you know I'm from talking with lots of people it seems like even if you are still in the city where you grew up 
at a certain age, we sometimes grow apart from those friends or our lives diverge, our careers diverge. Maybe they're having kids and we're not or vice versa or they're married and we're not or we want to go travel the world and they want to stay home. So research says that between 25 and 29, we have the most friends we'll ever have in our lives. And I think when we're at that age, we will never imagine that we'll be lonely or that we won't have these really close friends we can call on at any time. And so I thought that too. And then, you know, in my early 30s, all the things that they say happened to you happened to me, where I sort of found myself with no friends in London. And it's funny because when you say out loud, I'm looking for new friends, people here, I have no friends. Of, of course I have friends. They just like are scattered across the world or they're in Greenwich now or Surrey and I can never see them because that's so far away. And so, yeah, I wanted to see, can we find a, a new best friend this late in life? Is that possible or is that just a thing of the past? And I always really believe that, of course, we can find new people to connect with. And I, but I had to go find out. Yeah, and and it was similar, I think, to the conundrum of dating, like romantically, because it seems to be a bit of a numbers game. Like you kind of, you didn't get disheartened, but it was really interesting hearing about your stories because you would meet someone and I would just see my own experiences in it. Like when you meet up with someone for a coffee and then they just speak about themselves for 20 minutes and you go home feeling really deflated or Mm. you meet up and just like something's not quite there and you don't have like quite the right amount of chemistry to carry it on for a next one. And it was it was fascinating. Yeah, I think that friendship chemistry is so important and actually really hard to find. And so when I did find people I connected with after many friend dates, I yeah, latched onto them, got their number, make sure to see them, keep in touch with them because they're really important to me. I love that. And with the amazing research throughout the book, because I was telling someone about your book the other day, because I was just like, it is so unique in the way that it's really beautifully written, mixed with, oh, I've just got off the phone with like doctor, blah, blah, blah. How was that? How was finding all of that? Did, did you feel like you weren't alone on your quest? Yeah, I, I realized quickly in this year of extroverting nightmares that I needed actual professional help because it's terrifying. I'm not an expert at these things. You know, I do stand-up comedy. I go traveling alone in a mystery destination looking for friends. I talk to strangers. I am terrible at these things. And so I wanted, you know, extrovert mentors is what I call them to to guide me. And I also wanted to share what I learned in the book because I think I'd always wanted to know these things. Like, you know, we, we read accounts about stand-up comedians, but usually that's their dream job and they really want to do it. I wanted to read about what happens when someone who's totally terrified of that does it. How can they do it? How can she do it? What advice would help her? And I love the honesty in it because you're right. You're not doing this and just like sailing through it. Like we're with you on this journey of you being really freaked out most of the time because I felt for you so much because I saw myself in it when you see a therapist I can't remember which one but you like basically run out and like leave your coat there and you kind of just can't do it in that moment but you go back it's a very honest book yeah it, it was that was a really tough moment where I I really fear public speaking like I've you know avoided it my entire life um when I was a kid I would like fake sick for a for plays or presentations at work, I would never volunteer to give a presentation. And all of a sudden I found myself having to perform at Union Chapel in front of 900 people on stage without any notes being recorded and I just panicked. And so, yeah, I had to see this this speech therapist who 
I thought was going to like, you know, wrap me up in a blanket and give me a cup of tea and tell me everything's going to be okay. You're going to be brilliant. And actually it was a much more difficult, painful process with her. And eventually I did get on that stage, but after our first session, I felt destroyed and I thought, you know what, I can't do this. I'll, I'll never be able to do this. And I, yeah, I ran out of her house and I felt like that was important to share because, you know, usually we just see the finished product on stage. We just yeah. think, oh, they look amazing. How did they, like, of course they, they don't fear doing that. And I mean, was her kind of theory and, you know, way of doing things that she almost wanted to scare you out of it? Almost like she's going to make you feel so terrified that when you're up there, you're not as terrified? I think so, yeah. So there's this thing called, um, I don't think I write about this, but it's called the Society of Timid Souls. And it was this group, I think, in New York, um, I don't know how many years ago, but they were musicians who had stage fright. And so they formed this organization where they would perform in front of each other. And um, these people in the audience, that basically the friends who also had stage fright, would heckle them and scream at them and do horrible things and so that would they would eventually overcome their stage fright and I feel like she did a very slight version of that to me so she made me perform for her she stared into my eyes it was really awkward I didn't want to do it and she heckled me but then on the night I mean nobody heckled me on the night it was so much easier and I could perform I could get used to looking into someone's eyes and telling the story I had to tell I love that bit and I loved it because at the end when you're on there when you're up there doing it you kind of just feel like yes Jess you've done it like we've <laughs> seen all the behind the scenes it was the moth wasn't it for people who are listening yes it was is for the moth podcast and you're with these other four storytellers who are all really amazing and you know I've been to the moth podcast recording before um in these amazing venues and I've never ever seen anyone mess up and I would watch and I would feel nervous for them thinking, oh no, what if you mess up? What if you mess up? Because they're not trained professionals. They're not actors. And then when it was my turn, I thought, oh God, like don't be the first person to mess up. And on the night, I felt so sick. And then I just thought, I don't want to be scared of this anymore. I don't want this fear to own me and limit me for the rest of my life. That night went really well. It was really fun, actually, in retrospect, which is crazy to say. Yeah. And and I loved hearing about how you kind of all bonded, like all the speakers bonded backstage because you were all scared. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that everyone seems to be scared of performing. And yeah, we sort of formed this this close circle of being terrified. And that made me feel so much better. Because did you have a job? I th you think you speak about this before, but in Beijing, you had a job where you were on TV. Yeah. So there was this time in my life, which I never speak about because it was a horrendous time, but I was a TV reporter in Beijing for for about six months, yeah. When we're little, we think it's a glamorous job, it's a cool job, you get to be a journalist. And I think, you know, I wasn't, I was an adult when I took the job, but I thought, oh, I'll just transform into this confident person that I've literally never been before. In reality, that job was so scary. It gave me anxiety. And when I quit that job, I just thought, I'll just never perform anything ever. It'll be fine. This is who I am. I just won't ever do that thing. But, you know, like I said, I reached this point about a year ago where I, I didn't want that fear to own me anymore. And I think that's what's so amazing about this book is that you make a distinction between like doing things you don't want to do because it just makes you miserable 
but then pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to be feeling yeah discomfort and they're kind of two different things like one is like you're choosing to push yourself and the other is like I just don't like that there must have been days where you were like I can't I actually don't want to do this at all yeah it was yeah there were so many days when I had to psych myself up because um you know, I made a list of, of like 10 things I did not ever want to do and I made myself do all of them. So if it was something fun on the list, then I had to go because it meant I actually secretly wanted to do it. Do you recommend other people doing a similar thing? I think that there are some people who say yes to everything and go out all the time and they run themselves ragged. And I obviously don't think that we should become those people. But then again, I know that you know, I discovered I was an introvert and I felt so empowered by that and knowing that, you know, a third to half of the population feels the same way I do. But then over the years, I started to use that introvert label as this license to say no to everything. Like, mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to give a speech. I'm not going to go to that networking event. I'm not going to go make a new friend. I'm not going to go to that party. And I think that was something that really isolated me and made me more socially anxious. So when I finally did go out there and push myself to do things that in my head I envisioned as so scary, I actually realized they weren't that scary. And even if I didn't have an amazing time, I usually met someone who I connected with. That really speaks to me because I used to be such a yes person when I was much younger. And, you know, even when it came down to like having a full time job and then like writing on the side for free or whatever. Like if anyone asked me to do anything, like any event, any any opportunity, I would say yes. And I feel like as my career has become more solid, I I feel like I'm embracing this like how to say no, say no more, be a no person. And it's like that can go too far the other way as well. Yeah, I think it really depends on what stage we are in our life. And I mean, I don't want people to think that I don't say no to things now. I I say no to things all the time, but I just say yes to a lot more things. You must have learned a lot about yourself in this in this year, kind of knowing knowing where that boundary is for you. Yeah, I think that if you're in your flat and it's winter and the sun is already set and you know you have like pasta you can eat and a good movie you can watch, it's easy to tell yourself well, I don't need to go to that event anyway. It'll probably be terrible. But if you're not actually feeling horrible or really fragile, then sometimes it's actually better to go and you might actually enjoy it. Yes. I remember reading this article in Refinery29 a while ago now, but it was a friend of mine that wrote it um, called Jess Commons. And she wrote a piece about how she'd moved into a flat with her boyfriend. And she said that she didn't go out as much. Her anxiety got really bad. Just this idea of it's a weird one it's like the happier you are in your like cozy little environment actually the worse your social anxiety can get because you spend too much time on your own I 100% have had that yeah that's a really good point I think you're right I I love my flat now and you know I'm married and I'm happy but I think sometimes we think when we find a partner who we really like and connect with that they're supposed to complete us And we can get sucked into that for a few years and then we lose touch with our friends. And I think that can be really unhealthy because actually you should have your own world as well. Mm. So yeah, I was married, still am, and (laughs) um, no spoilers, but I wanted to go out and make new friends. I wanted to have my own experiences. I wanted to expand my own world. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I wasn't happy with my husband. It just means that I think it's important for us both to have our own worlds and also retreat back into, you know, the one we've made together. Mm, That's so true. And I feel like that's why 
Dolly Alderton's book has been so popular as well, writing about how, you know, female friendship and having other like romances in your life that are platonic outside your relationship because it is tempting when you are with someone who does complete a lot of things. It's just easier sometimes to be like, oh, I'll just hang out with you the whole time. So yeah. that that bit really spoke to me as well. But in terms of um, all of the different challenges, I mean, you've done so much, um, including like the solo traveling and all sorts of things. What What was the most challenging, would you say? Everyone always asks me this. And it's funny because every time I was doing whichever one it was, whether it was you know, getting on a plane, not knowing where I was headed or uh, doing improv. They were all so tough. (laughs) I think actually the the hardest one was the very first one when I interviewed a psychologist about how to talk to strangers. He told me at his clinic what he has his patients do is humiliate themselves again and again in public because then they'll eventually realize that nothing terrible happens to them. You know, they won't lose their jobs or be arrested. Just a few people will think that they're stupid. He suggested that I go on the streets of London and, you know, into the London underground and talk to strangers and ask them, excuse me, I just forgot. Is there a queen of England? And if so, what is her name? Because he knew I was going to be rejected in that circumstance and I really really did not want to do that like could you do that do you think you could do that if if, like by yourself I mean it's it's hilarious by the way that bit and no spoilers but like wow people actually don't know a lot of things (laughs) um I don't know if I could go out and do it without knowing in myself that I'm doing it for a reason did you think with all these exercises like at the end of the day I am making a fool out of myself but this book is going to be out there and I'll I'll have created something brilliant out of all of this. Sometimes I felt that, but often I would just think, oh fuck, I don't want to do this. This is so painful. You know, getting on stage at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in a pub at midnight and then bombing, it's not comforting to be like, it's just, it still feels so horrendously awful. Um, But what I love is that you have lived out a lot of people's nightmares yes and you're still here (laughs) and you are and and if anything you've enriched your life and you've got so many stories and I just think that in itself is inspiring it's like yeah you can go through these social you know horrors that we like have nightmares about but nothing actually happens after it yeah I think that people told me that but I actually had to live it to believe it so when I finally you know went on the tube and asked people that horrible question and People did surprise me, but they were not mean. They didn't throw me out. They didn't point at me and laugh or have me arrested. I didn't lose my job. I felt all of a sudden elated, like this total freedom that I could be free of this social anxiety. And now I'm actually a lot more comfortable talking to strangers, whereas before it was like borderline phobic. I was going to ask you that then. So has this genuinely made like a lasting impression on you? And and if so, how, in what ways do you just notice yourself now being like, oh my God, I've like cured myself? (laughs) Well, I think that I'm a lot less socially anxious and I'm a lot more confident in that, uh, you know, I performed stand-up comedy a few times. Sometimes it went okay. Sometimes it went very, very badly. (laughs) But I think having experienced a moment where I thought, oh my God, I'm doing something that I never, ever, ever thought would be possible. And that's no exaggeration. Like I never thought I could do that. I feel like I've expanded 
my self-definition and that feels really freeing that I'm not sort of tied to all of my insecurities and my anxieties. There's, um, you know, there are studies that say that, God, I sound like so official. No, so there are studies great. that say that, um, but I, I love studies. Um, there are studies that say that we have formed our personalities by the time we're 30, which is great if you're in your 20s. But, you know, I was 32 and I just thought, oh my God, like, am I gonna be stuck being this way for the rest of my life? Am I really gonna have stage fright? and social anxiety for the rest of my life. And then I came across this psychologist, Brian R. Little, who says, you know, we are formed by nature and nurture, but we can also change our personalities or who we are by what we do. And I loved reading about that. And I felt like that is what I tried to do in this book. And that's what I think I partially succeeded in doing. I'm still an introvert. I don't think you can change whether you're an introvert or extrovert because you're it's like agreed upon that you're born that way. But I'm just, I think I'm more of an outgoing one now. Mm, I love that. I think that's really, really relatable at the moment, especially with, you know, all this content that we consume and like how overwhelming life can feel, you know, with just stuff everywhere. And actually doing these things must have given you a bit more of a perspective. Because I think doing new things, learning new things, like retraining your brain to try different things. It's like, how much of that are we actually doing as a society? I, I, I think we're becoming more dependent on like apps, Ubers, Deliveroo. Liking an Instagram post is not the same as going for a coffee with someone. We know that, but at exactly. the same time, we feel like a weird validation of like, oh, I've said hi to her. It's fine. She's yeah. still my friend. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I think that, you know, I write a little bit about loneliness in this book because I think that we feel like we're interacting with lots of people on social media when we're commenting on Instagram or, or YouTube or Snapchat or whatever. And we, if can, it can, we do get that like dopamine hit of connection, but I just feel like it, it really isn't the same as face-to-face -face personal connections and that we are losing that and that the less we do that, the, the worse we become at it. You asked like what has stayed with me over the year. And I think the thing that I think about the most is actually when I took that class called How to Be Sociable, and I learned about the concept of you know surface talk versus deep talk. Oh, I love that bit, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I never thought of it that way, but I loved that the instructor um, at the School of Life was like, so, so surface talk is admin, um, our commutes, like what we're doing at the weekend, recipes, holidays, or talking about holidays, whereas deep talk is like our fears and our desires and our hopes and our dreams and how to really make meaningful connections with people, we have to go into deep talk. But then he, you know, <laughs> made us pair off with strangers and confess embarrassing things to each other. And when I was sitting in that classroom and I realized I was going to have to have deep talk with a total stranger, I was thinking, I'm going to leave. I'm gonna be like, I have a migraine, I have to go. Um, but I got paired with this man, this, this, this handsome stranger, which my husband loves to hear me say. Um, and he told me all of these really deeply personal things that I would have never imagined would be true about him. You know, that he didn't really like his job, that he, his wife didn't know he was at this class, but he didn't know how to make new friends. And, you know, if you looked at him, you would just think, there's like an attractive, successful man on the street. He's fine. But in reality, he was lonely and he wanted to make connections. And I found that really 
comforting and freeing. Mm. And I felt like he and I sort of bonded by sharing these ultra personal things to each other. Yes. And also how freeing to be with strangers sometimes, because I guess that's what therapy is to a certain extent that like the person doesn't know you doesn't really didn't grow up with you doesn't know really like you know you in your personal life and yet when we're with our friends or the people that know us it can be more scary sometimes to say something very personal I think it's a lot more scary especially for me if it's like with your parents because we grow up a certain way and they have an idea of us and and that sort of gets passed on to us and it's the story about who we are and maybe we grow up and change completely but they tend to see us the same way. So when you try to explain who you are now, sometimes they say, you're not that way. You know, my dad mm. read that Strangers piece in The Guardian and he said, you're not an introvert. And it's like, no doubt I was, but you're an extrovert. And like, you just didn't notice that I was more like quiet and, yeah. and withdrawn than, than the rest of the family. Oh my God, that is so true. And I think people who knew you maybe 10 years ago, but haven't really seen you like, day to day could in their minds just like freeze you in time I get that quite a lot where people are like oh but you're like this I'm like no no I've I've changed quite a lot actually and that can be quite damaging I think for people who have to like stay a bit stuck because their friends have put them in a certain role in the friendship group yeah exactly and I think that is sometimes why even if we have lots of friends it's good to go out and meet new people and sort of discover who are you without all of these layers that everyone who knows you are, are kind of imposing on you of who you've been that's probably a reason that I love moving to new countries right mm-hmm. I liked moving to China I liked living in Australia because it feels like you have this clean slate and you can be who you feel you really are without people saying but you don't do those kinds of things or you're not that type of person yeah oh god I totally understand the appeal of that uh, actually you're like what I did a few weeks ago I went on that writing retreat and it was with 10 total strangers who I'd never met before some of I'd sort of heard of their work but um I was petrified because I was living in a house for four nights with strangers yeah not my bag and um by the end of the week I was like wow that was so refreshing I just got to be me to just random people who didn't have any preconceptions of me and I felt like really seen yes no (laughs) I I think because no one was like putting things on me it was just me right yeah when you're being who you are now and they're not like remember that time you did that really embarrassing stupid thing and yeah just you really do just have to like fess up to who you are in those situations so I I was following your Instagram stories on that and I saw that you did improv and I wanted to ask you what did you think of improv and and did you like it? It was really nerve-wracking because I'd never done it before. And I've watched it and always thought, That's, that looks horrible. <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> enjoying it. Yeah. But like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And um, I didn't, I've got to say, I didn't love doing that. Like, I, I don't think that's something that I want to do at all, ever. But what <laughs> I did find was that I bonded with the people in the group. And I felt genuinely like we were friends after doing it. Because did you find that? Yes. So I felt similarly in that... I never, ever wanted to do improv. It looked scary and cringy and painful. And I didn't think I could perform well on the spot. You're being watched. You're with strangers. But then when I went to my first class and we were finally in these scenes together, it felt so creative and fun and freeing in the way that you don't have to... In fact, it's impossible when you're doing improv to worry about deadlines or taxes or like health problems or anything because you have to be in that moment creating 
And when you mess up, which I do all the time because I'm bad at improvisation, it's actually funny and you have another person there to catch you mm-hmm. and to save the scene. And I all of a sudden felt so safe in this environment. And I absolutely felt bonded with these people, even though I actually didn't know anything about them. But I just been like um, doing improv yes. with them for an hour. That's, it's just interesting, isn't it? That because you're being vulnerable and, and someone else is like helping you out. And I think... S- Towards the end of my class run of eight classes, there were times when I would be laughing so hard at either another scene I was watching or a scene I was in, I was like breaking character that I would be sobbing tears. And no, that is not something that normally happens to me. And it's this massive stress release. It feels amazing. And you're with like, but when you really think about it, you're like, okay, I'm in this classroom in a basement in King's Cross with like 20 people I don't know. And I'm sobbing with laughter. It's it's crazy that you're in that situation, but you do feel really close with those people. Do you know what this makes me think? That we are craving that human collaboration and fun. Yeah. I think we just don't have it as much. And it brought me back to my school days, which I didn't love, but it's very it's something very healthy about spending your days just working on projects with other people all day long. Like you just feel part of something. And I think maybe that's the crux of, you know, your book really is like a lot of us don't feel a part of anything. Ooh, that's a really good point. I like that. Yeah. Like we have to go out and find our groups. And I think we, it's really hard to go out and find your people and your groups and your thing. It takes a lot of energy and bravery and you're going to fail a lot, but it's totally worth it because once you, once you find those things, they're so important. Yeah. Well, so just finally, I wanted to ask you um, that cliche question, I'm afraid of like, you know, what are you excited about when this book is actually out in shops? Because I feel like it's going to speak to so many people. I'm so excited for you. I'm really excited to finally have it out in the world because I did do all these really embarrassing things and really tough things. But I feel like I got great advice along the way with mentors and I met some amazing people. And I think that what happens in the book is sort of unexpected a lot of things and it sort of shows that we think that we know how everything's going to turn out and that influences whether we go for things or not but we actually have no idea until we step out into the world and do it and I also just hope it's a funny book that people can enjoy I don't want them to think it's like um you know a a hard book that's like homework to read like if they have no interest in doing any of these things or even if they're not introverts I still want it to be something that's like a fun story about what happens when you go in the world and meet people and show them who you really are and get out of your comfort zone. That's a really good point because actually aside from like the message of the book which I think I took to heart because I felt like you were speaking to me (laughs) at the end of the day I just think everyone needs to read it. It's so funny and it's just so gripping and there's nothing else really like that out there. So thank thank you. you for writing it. Um, thank you for reading it. Thanks for having me. And thanks for coming on the podcast. It's in all good bookshops from today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And thank you for having me. And for including me. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. you. Uh... I read the acknowledgements only the other day because I've been reading the proof. And how lovely. Yes, you are one of my networking mentors because I thought you're someone who's out in the world, meeting people, making things happen. And I loved finding out that you were an introvert do you think that surprises lots of people I think so I think it does I think that people get confused when they see someone outgoing on a stage 
but I remember reading Amy Schumer's memoir if you read that yes and I remember reading about how she is a massive introvert and like she'll check into a hotel and can't even speak to the like receptionist and yet she's doing these gigs to like thousands of people so I think that's another thing that's good um in terms of books like yours is it's like spelling out what what these things actually are and it's nothing to be ashamed of yeah no exactly but anyway thank you so much and buy the book everyone (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.